0: Remember the first time you flew on a commercial airliner? Remember that? Maybe you were young and it was back in the day when the uh, flight attendant could actually take you up to the flight deck and let you look inside. What was the first thing your eyes focused on or went to when you went inside the flight deck? The instrument panel, right? Right? Yeah, because that's where all those gauges and dials and blinking lights were and switches. It's dazzling, right? But let's face it, you couldn't tell a fuel gauge from an airspeed indicator. Your eyes have to be trained in order to make sense of an airplane's instrument panel. How about a trip to an art museum? At any age? I took an art class but I can't tell a Manet from a Monet because I haven't trained my eyes to tell the difference. Out there on the road, I can't tell a Toyota from a Nissan. But perhaps if I was a car dealer, my eyes would be trained to tell the difference. You know, we can go through life. We can make it through life looking at many different things that we don't know the difference because it doesn't matter and we don't care. So, unless you're a pilot, you don't need to care about the airplane's instrument panel. Unless you're an art dealer or an art lover, who cares if it's a Manet or a Monet? We tend to train our eyes on the things that matter to us. Our theological eyes need to be trained. I mean, I suppose you can attend church and you can sit there and just lean back and pick some of the stuff up by osmosis or whatever, not pay attention or pay attention. I mean, look, consider the man who's attended church every Sunday all his life and yet can't tell you the difference between Moses and Abraham. How can this happen? It does happen. How can it? Because he hasn't trained his eyes. The Apostle Paul refers to the eyes of our heart. So I pray the eyes of your heart today may be trained a little more on the hope to which Jesus Christ has called you to the riches of His glorious inheritance and His great power. Now where do you find the riches of His glorious inheritance and power? Here in church, on the cross, to train your eyes to see more clearly the cross, I invite you then to climb up the high mountain with Peter, James, and John and see what's happening. Six days ago, you heard Jesus foretelling his death and Peter wasn't having any of it. You saw Peter get quite a tongue lashing when Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. You wanted to just hide your face and slowly exit stage right because Jesus might reprimand you next for thinking the same thing. You didn't want to hear him talk about his death. But what he said next kept you going along with him. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so you did, climbing up the side of Mount Tabor with Jesus, 1,800 feet above Galilee. And just as you stop to take a breath, Jesus suddenly looks different. His clothes are brilliant white. That takes you four days to bleach your clothes. You have to rub on that clay paste, grind it into the fibers, Soak it in water. Stretch it out to dry for a whole day. Then wash it again to remove all that paste and dry it again. But Jesus' robe suddenly turns whiter. More radiant than any bleaching you've, you've ever seen. And where there were five of you on this mountain, now there's two more. Elijah and Moses. Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, Mane, Mone. What's the difference? Uh, who cares? Well, train your eyes. Moses is God's great lawgiver to his people Israel. He brought to your ancestors the commandments of God. How, are you, how you are to live your life. Elisha is God's great prophet. They're both prototypes of Jesus who would fulfill the Law and the Prophets. See, Jesus would bring their work and their purpose in life to completion. Moses and Elijah point to the ultimate law-obeyer and giver of forgiveness of sin and everlasting life, Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Jesus and these two great figures from the Hebrew Scriptures are, are having a conversation. So, what are they saying? lean in, get closer, and listen. You're still too far away. You can't hear a thing they're saying. And perhaps it's just as well because maybe this isn't a conversation for your ears. But Peter's getting anxious as he does quite often and he wants to camp out there and stay a while. But why does he want to stay? Why does he want to do this? He, he's terrified along with James and John. You'd think they want to hightail it off this mountain and get back to feeding and and healing crowds of people in the valleys below. But see Peter doesn't know what to do and he doesn't know how to handle this miraculous vision in front of him. It's this this suggestion of making tents is kind of a, a nervous reaction. So he decides to interrupt Jesus and his little chat with these two Old Testament heavies, Peter's going to butt in on Moses and Elijah's talk in preparing Jesus to go to his death. Let's set up camp for all of us, says Peter. And you notice Jesus doesn't reply to him. But the Father does. And it's not just his voice. His voice is in a cloud, shrouding Mount Tabor, creating a kind of temple on this mountain because well your eyes have been trained to know the place where God dwells the temple in Jerusalem right well you're not in Jerusalem today nevertheless the voice of Yahweh the God of Abraham the God of Jacob and all their ancestors speaks similar words to what he spoke earlier at the Jordan River this is my beloved son Listen to Him. Are you? Have you been listening? Is it your intention to continue listening to God's beloved Son sent to die and pay the punishment you deserve from the Father for not obeying His law? As you come down from Mount Tabor, Jesus tells you to tell no one about what you've seen, until he's risen from the dead. And that's not gonna happen until you come down from one mountain and climb another. From Mount Tabor to Mount Moriah, where the temple sits in Jerusalem. You'll climb 3,000 feet with Jesus to that great capital city. And the journey will start this Ash Wednesday where our eyes will be trained to see as well as our ears to hear about the place where they will crucify Jesus of Nazareth. These next few days before Ash Wednesday, consider how blessed the eyes of our hearts are as God trains them to see the cross through the lens of the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah longed to see the day when the Messiah would be lifted up to be the sacrificial lamb of God for the whole world. There they were in those brief moments talking with the lamb, the son of God, preparing him for what was to come. Who knows what they said? It wasn't a conversation for us because we're not the ones who die a God-forsaken death on a cross. Jesus did that for us on our behalf. We see the transfiguration from a distance and the words of encouragement and preparation for our death we receive from God's entire word in the Bible, which tells us we are sinful from birth because of the fall of creation, That we need an outside help because we cannot redeem ourselves no matter how many good things we do. And that God has come to us in the flesh in His Son Jesus to redeem us. These next few days as we tread the dusty trail in the valley between Mount Tabor and Mount Moriah, let's train our eyes even more to see the cross of Jesus. Our Redeemer Crucified for us, that is where we find the riches of his power and love for us who believe. Would you pray with me? Lord, bring us to that mountain, mountain where we can see your glory shine. <clears throat> Let us follow you to the glory of your cross to celebrate your power and to marvel at your life given for us. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.